0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal, where each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices. I'm your host, Naveen Agarwal, principal and founder at Achieve, where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Sri Kaushik to talk about risk management considerations for in vitro diagnostic devices. She has years of experience, both on the medical device side and the IBD side, to be able to understand the subtle differences and challenges involved in risk management of IVDs. We talked about this topic as part of a LinkedIn live audio event in front of a live audience. You're about to hear a recording of our discussion. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I see a lot of familiar faces in the audience today. Ricardo, Leo, Joshua, Andy, Vijal, Christy. Thanks for coming back. And I see a lot of new faces as well. So welcome to all of you. Uh, it's just great to be back with you again. And during our conversation also, please continue to share how you are feeling and how you are thinking about the discussion using the React button. Uh, so with that, She, I wanna welcome. Uh, thanks for joining again. Thank you very much for having me, Naveen. So, Sri, let's start pleasure. by uh, She, let's just start by sharing a little bit of your personal story with the audience and uh, tell us, you know, how you reached to the place that you are right now in your career. What have been some of your pivotal moments in the career that you have? You have a very, very impressive background and experience. So tell us a little bit more about what your journey has been to this point.
1: Thank you, uh, Naveen. Um, So, I want to begin with a quote that Mark Twain made, which is, you know, to succeed in life, you need two things ignorance and confidence. Mm -hmm. And I have an abundance of both. Mm -hmm. And so, I am really successful in what I do. Uh, That's supposed to be a joke, (laughs) people. Please think that way. (laughs) And uh, I. 30 plus years, I, I mean, I worked on the bench and doing research, thought that I was going to be a faculty member, and so one fine morning, realized that nobody wanted me to be a faculty member, and <laughs> rightly so, and um, I pivoted out, and of all odd, odd things, I was a biochemist, molecular biologist, I was thinking about drug regulatory and stuff like that, and then um, I read, a oddly, a business news article, of all things, that mm-hmm. talked about personalized medicine and how um, how, you know, diagnostics are helping people overcome simple things like height uh, problems or, you know, just kids growing taller and stuff like that. Hmm. And um, it sort of put me into a path of of trying, wanting to understand what personalized medicine was. This was way back in 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, Lo and behold, I pivoted out of, directly out of my, my bench work into um, submitting 510Ks for medical devices to FDA. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a break because I had a phenomenal mentor who um, who uh, wanted me to come in and just help him and, and paid me for what I was doing. And we did about 12 510Ks together very quickly, all of them in the medical de- device realm. But mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be in IVDs. And um, Joshua, who's on this call, was the first guy who told me how I can learn about IVDs. Mm-hmm. And um, this was back in 2013, and I've been learning ever since. And I got an opportunity to switch to the IVD world um, and when I joined as a VP of regulatory for a company that I was her- helping um, in the early stages in Baltimore, um, just pro bono, because um, I really wanted to get in the field.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it turned out that um there that's where i, I had a i want to i don't want to say a rude awakening but it was more of an awakening of some of sorts because um you know i would known medical devices and i sort of written uh risk risk um, management documents and submitted as part of my 510 case and i thought i understood. Um, a medical device is a medical device,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and an IVD is a medical device. So it's, there's nothing much different to it. Mm-hmm. And then I walk into that realm and suddenly realize, oh my God, this is so much more different, right? Um, it's different because medical devices actually touch the patient,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they actually are um, uh, are, you know, you so you can sort of work through the risk process and mitigate the risk because you know that the end user is actually going to use your device. I see. Um, in an IVD realm, your end user is somebody who just runs the assay and gives that information to whoever, right? It could be a clinician, it could be a clinical lab, it could be the patient. Right. Um, and what they do with that information um, has nothing to do at that point. It becomes clinical practice, mm-hmm. right? And a doctor may run a test but do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so, uh, how do you mitigate that risk? And so, how do you deal with risks so, that come out of that? And yeah, that was something that I had to learn.
0: So what you're yeah. talking about really is the diagnostic device is providing us some information that should be used to make a clinical decision. So um, there's a not stamp, necessarily
1: right? not necessarily. There's there's very good reasons why you don't want to make clinical decisions, right? So mm-hmm. let me give you a personal example from COVID. Uh, last year my entire my mom lives with me. She's seventy five and um, my entire family came down with COVID. Mm-hmm. And just weeks before that, a friend of mine got COVID and she went to her doctor and the doctor gave her the medicine to stop covid hmm. right the pro uh, i mean i don't remember the name of the the medication but she she was given that and she said she got better in 2 days so okay. as soon as my mom got covid with all her maladies I ta- called my doctor and said hey can you prescribe the medicine my doctor said no
2: hmm.
1: and i said okay i trust you man because i've been you've been my doctor for 15 years i will just let it be but my mom was suffering for seven eight days cons- consistently then I after the fifth day I called him and said well, what is going on dude? everybody mm-hmm. else is giving this medicine why aren't you mm-hmm. He said sometimes the re- uh, the relapse from the drug is worse and she would have suffered a lot more if I had prescribed the drug to her
0: Ah, okay
1: then then taking the then not giving her the drug so true enough this friend of mine I talked to her a uh, month later and she said, yeah, I got covid back so bad the second time after the drug uh, was done, regime was done that I was down and out. The first time I wasn't that sick. Ah. The second time I was down and out. So the rebound of the drug is a humongous risk and doctors have should have the ability to say, no, we're not giving you the medicine.
0: Oh, even though even though the even test though is showing positive.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Okay, and- so so what you're talking about really is a very interesting case. And first of all, I'm so glad you know, that, that everyone is good, they're healthy. COVID was a bad experience for all of us. But it basically helps me put this in context when we talk about risk related to IVD, because we have to build sequence of events, what might come out of it. And in this case, you are saying the clinician made a very good judgment based on benefit-risk using their experience with other patients. And the relapse sure. was a much bigger risk than actually, so they must have, by the way, thought about an individual patient, and in that context, they made that decision, right?
1: Yes, and, and you know, he basically didn't give it to me or he didn't give it to my wife or anybody because he said, I don't want you guys to suffer.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: mm-hmm. that's a great doctor,
2: first mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm.
1: And the second part was essentially that, um, you know, um, do all IVDs, uh, are all IVDs the same way, um, that, you know, there should not be an intervention? I don't. I would never say that. Mm-hmm. Personalized medicine is the reason I got into IVD field. And in that particular case, if you can mitigate some of the risks associated with devices, especially in the oncology space, mm-hmm. uh, so with drugs in the oncology space, I think... Uh, a diagnostic is very useful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Similarly for certain uh, infectious diseases that can be cured. I mean, you don't want somebody to suffer through anthrax because there's there's antibiotics available to treat those. Um, nice. If you are diagnosed with uh, anthrax. So it, it it's an indirect way in which risk affects IVDs. And usually it is false negatives and false positives that are the most critical items that we as a Regulatory person um,
0: developing IVDs that uh, you know that have, we have to worry about. And Got it. So, so Sri, I'm gonna just pause for a second because I know I was not aware of the quality criteria and performance criteria for IVDs. Would you mind very briefly describing, you know, what does the what are the critical criteria or parameters? You mentioned false positive, false negative. I wasn't aware myself, so I'm hoping that some people can actually benefit from this. Just basic information first. Would you mind doing that?
1: Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, the the intent of uh, most IVDs is, in at least this is my opinion. There's much better IVD folks on this call that can probably correct me. The intent of the IVD is to diagnose a disease state, mm-hmm. right? And you know, ideally, you'd want to when you have the disease you want 100% of the times for the diabetes to be positive and when you don't have the disease you want to be 100% of the time sure that the, uh, the diabetes are you know that you don't have the disease got it so that's specificity and sensitivity which is what you get you get to hear a lot about
2: mm-hmm.
1: how however um, you know we, be, we being complex people those things are not that distinct because it's a biological process and biological process has inherently um, you know what works for me won't work for you
2: mm-hmm. much mm-hmm.
1: uh, because of my genetics and my physiology and my um, you know background of how I have grown up and versus how you've grown up and mm-hmm. so our um, phenotype and genotype will dictate whether or not um, we're going to respond to something correctly though you know, you would definitely agree that you don't want to be prescribed a drug that could potentially have uh, all drugs are going to have some side effect, mm-hmm. you know, some, you know, because it's a foreign product in your or any therapeutic is going to have a side effect. You don't want to take that side effect mm-hmm. if you can avoid it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, from a quality perspective, um, what you definitely need to do is that, um, you have to make sure that your your IVD meets the user needs, mm-hmm. and you have to be able to weave your risk assessment user needs into your risk assessments from a design input percent, perspective. Mm-hmm. So your design input should inform you as to what uh, level of risk mitigation you need to put for each and every step. Got and it. Got just and as an example, if you want to say, I have a COVID test, but I only can detect eighty percent of the times that this person probably has COVID, and today in today's date, and I don't. This is not a political statement, but we know that the vaccines that were approved, at least for people under twenty-five, uh, in boys, uh, in in men, is giving myocarditis. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take that risk
2: mm-hmm. just mm-hmm.
1: because you know? And those kinds of decisions have to be made in in the in the in the context of the science and, um, and the user need. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I was developing an IVD, I would say, you know uh, and this is not the right way to do it, but this is just a thought, which is I wouldn't let anybody under any boy under 25 actually use an IVD test because of the fear of somebody before COVID because of the fear that somebody might say, go take a vaccine. Got, right. got it, got it.
2: So, you-
0: I, Of course, I think what we are also saying is that these decisions are made in a clinical context with a specific patient. And what I'm hearing you say is that the IVD should be accurate enough to drive the right decision in a clinical context. Yes. That's, that's the purpose of the IVD, right? And that's why false positive, false negative matters. Because if we are getting a false result, we have a risk of either delaying the treatment or using an incorrect treatment that may be harmful to the patient. I think that's the main idea. So many things happened during COVID. I know, um, and I have read up a lot on this. I have been very, very nicely (laughs) informed and educated. There's a lot of conversation because we are still learning about it. So here's what I would say, uh, She. I think this was a very good kind of a uh, segue here for now inviting our audience to participate. And maybe, um, first of all, I want to recognize a few things. Uh, you mentioned Joshua is in the audience. Josh, hello. Uh, in fact, Josh, I think is you are the reason that I'm talking to Sri today because you helped this kind of networking and relationship building. So I want all of us in the audience today to understand the value of networking. And if you guys didn't know, you can connect with anybody one-to-one in this audience today, even if they are not your first-degree contact. So you can look up their profile and, you know, just don't spam anybody. Let me, let me just uh, qualify that. But what we are also trying to do is encourage participation and networking. Okay. So this is how it's going to work. Those of you who are new, uh, you may not have known this, but if you want to participate in the discussion, which I heavily encourage you to do, just please raise your hand and you will find that uh, at the top of your profile picture just request uh, an invitation to speak and and join she and i on this what i call virtual stage and those of you who have been here before you know how the process works so i hope to see some hands going up in the air right now because i would love to have you guys participate and share your thoughts Um, as she mentioned we are all learning from each other and i believe you have a lot to contribute and you might have some interesting questions to ask. So I invite you at this point of time to somehow indicate to me that you are interested. Uh, so uh, let's wait to hear from our folks in the audience today, Shri. but let's continue our discussion. Uh, so we were talking about why false positive, false negative results are important and we must control that. So do you have some sort of uh, you know benchmarks in mind, uh, you know some IVD case examples where you would say certain level of accuracy must be uh, demonstrated reliably before yeah. you know, we can go forward. How do you decide that?
1: So, well, um, for instance, if you're talking about a, um, you know, Red Cross uh, takes a lot of blood for blood transfusions, right? Mm-hmm. Most diagnostics that are used for blood uh, screening mm-hmm. um, for transfer, they are. Considered to be highly um, risky, because you, you know, when you take blood, sometimes um, these blood com- these companies basically don't just transfer whole blood. Sometimes it's plasma. Sometimes you know you could take plasma out and you can do it, and you could just give you know buffy coat or something can be taken out and 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 in, 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 injected into a patient. So one bag of blood could infect a ton of people. Yeah. So in that particular case, and rightfully so, um, uh, CBER, which controls the blood uh, group, they require blood diagnostics to be a really, really high sensitive, high, high specific, highly specific. What does that mean? So, what what, what is really high So it mean? it's ninety nine percent plus somewhere in uh, I mean, uh, with a lower CI of ninety eight. Oh. So which essentially means that you need to be ninety nine percent sure. That if you if you're if you say I don't if somebody's blood doesn't have HIV that it doesn't have HIV
2: mm-hmm.
1: right um, that is true for a lot of those even the hepatitis hepatitis and all these other devices uh, IVDs however if you're just um, you know if the doctor is doing a test in your in the in the hospital um, you walk in yellow uh, looking yellow and they want to run a test for hepatitis B or C,
2: uh-huh.
1: um, that, y- you know, that could potentially have a lower, slightly lower uh, sensitivity requirements, which would be 95% or, uh, you know, with a lower CI of 90, hmm. which essentially means that, you know, 95% of the, if you took 100 people, 95% of the time, it's my device, my ABD will say, well, you know, this is correct. So depending on on really on the use scenario, I've, the IVD folks actually sort of have to really weigh in what the what the consequence of it is and a manufacturer has to um, mitigate risks of false positives and false negatives
0: so what very you are tightly yeah so what you are saying is that it's a risk-based decision what the requirement what the design requirement for the IVD would be right yes but wow. yes it is.
1: So then so always I would always a risk-based decision. So yes. that, then I would
0: expect a very tight kind of hand-holding or integration between risk analysis early on and design inputs early on. It How does that happen? Can you share some insights on that?
1: You would want that, um, Naveen. But I mean, my experience has told me that usually um, at least risk in itself is not the top priority of development. So the biggest the biggest issue in 24971 actually says that you need to have uh, user needs as design inputs to, uh, to be able to do a good risk assessment and risk management, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, um, if that's the case, then everybody should be working on user needs. Most startup companies, small companies, don't have very well-defined user needs. And because of that, um, you know, your risk is always lacking hmm. but ideally, the way it needs to be done is that is the same way quality is dealt with in the i in the in the device world, which is the management has to buy in, and um, you know, the the buy in um, can be facilitated, in my opinion, by two ways. You either the management is conscientious that they want to do it, or they need to be told that you know some information. Um, the, well the the you, the worst thing that can happen to a company is not FDA giving you know FDA giving a, a rejection on their application because those things can be mitigated mm-hmm. um, with the correct uh, testing, but um, loss of uh, revenue.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you know shutting Shre- down. So yeah. this is so amazing and such a coincidence. And guys, this was not planned. I'm so glad to welcome Christy here. On our uh, virtual stage, Christy, thanks for joining. You work with small startups all the time, and she mentioned this challenge. I would love to hear your view. How do you help them understand this basic requirement?
3: The basic requirement to link user needs.
0: Yes, to and risk, risk management. management. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I honestly, I teach, I teach risk management like storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, And the story really comes back to what do you what's driving the risk? What's the foundation of the risk existing in the first place, Mm -hmm. which sometimes comes from user needs and then um, after like the climax of the story, right? Like after you've identified the potential for harm, what do you do about it? And sometimes that turns into a new user need that you Mm. didn't know you needed. Um, so I kind of—I mean—that's how I break it down for little teams. I—I um, I wanted to actually come on to ask Shri about your experience with two four nine seven one Annex H. I remember it because H is happy for me. <laughs> Annex H is—it's seriously. I'm like risk management is such a fun area um, it's kind of like a sickness like my business partner tells me I have a sickness because I love it so much <laughs> um, but I truly I help um, I help a lot of really really tiny diagnostic teams set up their risk management files and we start with um, ISO TR 24971 Annex H which my friend Ed Bills would tell you is um, a gift from the ISO committee which it really is um, because it's like 22 pages of goodness that's all about IDDs right um, but my question for you is how do you, what other resources do you have? Or how do you suggest for really small teams in the diagnostic space to get started? Because a lot of times it's like, you know, two PhDs out of MIT with a really cool idea. Um, So I I try and break it down and, and turn it into, you know, easy to understand terms, but Annex H is both gorgeous and it's really, there's a ton of information in there. So I'm wondering if you have any best practices for how you break it down for the little guys.
0: Nice, thank you, um, Christy. Go thank ahead, you Shree.
1: very much. And I can tell you, um, the first thing, and Ed Belts is the one who taught me uh, my first foray into um, you know uh, risk analysis. And I took the AMI course, and they took it because I wanted to basically um, learn how to do the IVD uh, regulations, right? And that was just, I think, three months or four months before that TIR uh, two four nine seven one was released, and Ed. Uh, one of the things that happened was whenever I've gone and talked to any of these meetings, everybody talks about medical devices, and then they say, "Yeah, I mean, IVDs fall into the same category." <laughs> well, it doesn't, uh, and it really doesn't. I mean, the IVDs have its have its own little world, and um, so um, Ed pointed us to the, you know, H and I, I. The way I've, I, I agree with you. It is a it is a work of art, and um, it's sort of all the questions and all the issues and and for for instance like we do the p1 p2 uh assessment in in when you when you're sort of categorizing the risk and you have to take into what the manufacturer can do as p1 and p2 is what the users would do with your device and what the, what's the risk the users for, for for the users and the first time i ever figured out that p2 does not necessarily apply to ivds was when i read h and so it was (laughs) it it was not only eye opening and if somebody wants to get into ivd regulatory i would strongly suggest go pay the money it's not that expensive it's like 270 bucks get down get tir 24971 open up h and then sort of go through line by line what they say and i really really do agree with you because that is definitely Mm -hmm. a gift to IVD folks because are they uh, then I never got any IVD (laughs) IVD, um, you know no people most people everywhere talk about medical devices and then IVD. so
0: so she very quickly then um, because I know Roger has probably a question or comment very quickly are there any other resources that you would recommend to people just starting out
1: yeah. So one of the places I actually
0: do a lot of searching on is the medical device
1: uh, reports database from FDA, MDR mm-hmm. reports. Usually what happens is when you have an IVD that, you know, could could if you have something similar to your device in the MDR, you, the FDA has this TPLC page where you can just go click and then it tells you all the risks that have, I mean, all the failures that have happened. Mm-hmm. And usually, you could go in there, and if you can find something useful within your own dev development process, I I frequently visit the MDR database for, mm.
2: for
1: uh, potential risk inputs, and and if my device can have the same issue, um, I do a lot of Google searching, and um, you know I do a lot of um, lot of reading on. Similar devices. So mm-hmm. if I'm using a blood diagnostic, um, I would go download something from glucose diagnostics or some kind of other blood diagnostic where you take a finger stick mm-hmm. and see what kind of uh, risks are uh, are happening with those uh, being false uh, for false positives, positives.
0: Great. There's great,
1: various great. places you pull this information from. It's not just one. Sure thing. But. Um, I think Alex H is God's
0: gift, or no, ISO's gift to, <laughs> to IVD
1: regulatory folks.
0: <laughs> Thank you. With that, uh, Roger, I know you have been patiently waiting. I appreciate that. Please go ahead. What you have uh, in mind?
4: Uh, I think this is a great discussion. I've personally not worked in IVDs uh, myself, and and uh, never really thought about the things that Sri brought up. But what I wanted to say, if other people are like me and kind of interested in this there's a book I read years ago, and I don't remember the title. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't remember the author. The title was called Intuitive Biostatistics. And I was kind of, I got that book and was reading it for the statistical end of it. But I'm thinking back on it. Many of the examples are set up from a clinical viewpoint, kind of this what can go wrong with uh, clinical decisions and the statistics behind them. But uh, uh, I thought about it. I thought back to that book as Sri was describing some of these uh, examples. So I'm just putting that out there. If, Great. If other people maybe are interested in this, you might look into that book. I, I myself will pull it down and be thinking, thinking of it now in terms of an IVD rather than the pure statistics. Perfect. Thank so you. That was all I wanted to say. Thank you, Roger.
1: Can you tell, can you tell me to read the name of the book? I want to take it. I'm to take a look at it.
4: Okay. It's Intuitive, Biostatistics.
0: And. Uh, and you know, guys, what I would recommend? First of all, Roger, thank you for sharing. And this is the beauty of our platform today. This conversation, we learn from each other. If somebody can find that link, please drop it in the comment section for this event, and that way everybody will be able to share that. Thank you, sir. thank you, Roger. Uh, Ed, I'm so happy to welcome you to uh, to our virtual stage. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, please, please uh, share what you have in
5: mind. I'm I'm just so happy to be here with everyone and with with this uh, great audience, but also uh, these great speakers. And uh, I I was happy to hear the reference to uh, ISO-TR24971 and and the indication that anybody in, in IBD should get it. Well, I will go further. Anyone in risk management for medical devices should have a copy of that manual. It's 85 pages of the latest updated information from some real experts on um, medical device risk management. And just about any question you might have, there's at least something that touches on it. It may not completely answer your question, but it will give you a start on um, uh, research and, and trying to find out what's going on. And it was entirely updated Uh, when it was released in in 2020. It's all new stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It also um, uh, introduces uh, cybersecurity and uh, data security as uh, elements that need to be considered. But now today, we've gone beyond that and we now have AI and machine learning going on. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be incorporated into your risk management uh, process and document it in uh, your risk management file. Uh, so many times these things grow separately and we tend to develop them as separate uh, issues. But in the end, all of the risks uh, for our devices uh, are need to be part of the overall residual risk analysis. And the way you do that is by getting them into your risk management file. Mm -hmm. So uh, don't forget, as these new things come up, to bring them in. I'm sure our next edition of um, of, uh, 24971 will have uh, a discussion of that. In the meantime, there's a uh, consensus report, CR34971. Notice how those numbers uh, seem to uh, follow there, uh, which is on uh, AI and uh, machine learning. So, uh, there's more risk that we need to pull into the picture here, and we need to learn every day, uh, as uh, uh, Roger was indicating. There, there's there's lots to learn out there, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we need to do that. So
0: thank I'll you. I'll shut up now. No, no. Ed, thank you so much, guys. Like always, we need more time. We run out of time, I know, and it's 11:30. But it's all great, right? This engagement is awesome. I'm deeply energized by it, and I'm so happy to see all of you again. I want to very quickly mention a few things to you, and then I'll open just a little bit, a uh, couple of minutes for sheet for closing thoughts. A uh, key housekeeping point is that in case you miss these events, I'm going to be producing the recording of our past discussions with an article describing key highlights. And you can find that on my newsletter if you go to my profile in the featured section, the first link will bring you to my newsletter we are going to be publishing these recordings so in that case you can catch up on what we are talking about in these conversations with that i'm going to really uh, give a couple of minutes to shri for some closing thoughts uh, she please uh, tell us what you are thinking right now
2: um,
1: i was i mean just looking thinking over the the process of where from where i got from to where i am and i feel like it's uh, while while we're talking about risk, I think having good mentors is really worth the um, uh, effort in cultivate relationships like you know Naveen calling me on this phone call um, asking me to join in. I would have never volunteered. I told him that and um, it, but it was Naveen so I had to come and talk to talk about it about my experiences and similarly, Josh Levin who's left uh, I mean, he put me, I wanted to be in IVDs, and he put me on the path to IVDs, and he's been a friend and mentor for a long time. So, um, find the best, uh, I mean, find when you find good people, um, cultivate relationships with them, because that's your risk mitigation towards failing in your careers and, and work moving forward. And, um, you know, uh, every once in a while, when you have an opportunity, uh, feel free to come in talk about your experience because I love learning from people. so please, oh, that's
0: such an uh, have a, yeah. that's such an amazing uh, thought to close our conversation with today, Sri. I really appreciate that. Uh, that's probably the best advice you can give to everybody is you know work hard, stud, you know look up these things, learn yourself, but also cultivate mentors. And with that, I'm gonna thank all of you once again for joining. Thank you, Ed, thank you Shri, Christy and uh, roger for participating guys if i had some giveaways to give you to to encourage participation i will do that but this is a virtual forum so you'll just have my best wishes and gratitude if you decide to participate because that's what it's all about thank you guys again we will connect once more next week please mark it on your calendars 11 a.m eastern every friday and if you miss it you will find the recordings and key highlights on my newsletter with that, everybody have a good weekend ahead and we will be in touch soon. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks, Naveen. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you, Shri Annette. Bye bye.